James chapter 2 verses 8 to 13. If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbour as yourself, you are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. For he who said, Do not commit adultery, also said, Do not murder. If you do not commit adultery but do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. James has told us that a person whose religion is pure and undefiled, a Christian who's the real deal, doesn't show partiality. You see, if you show partiality, he reasons, you're not fulfilling the royal law. You shall love your neighbour as yourself. That command to which Jesus gives special dignity. Remember, he said, the first of all commandments is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. This is the first commandment, and the second, like it, is this, You shall love your neighbour as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. Ultimately, by James' reckoning, That's what will reveal whether or not your Christian profession is real. Do you love your neighbour in the same way you love yourself? Did you notice Jesus assumed that everyone does love himself? Some people say they don't love themselves, but really they do. I mean, if Jesus took it for granted, it must be true. Love yourself doesn't mean that you stand in front of the mirror all day thinking, aren't I wonderful? Well, maybe for some people it does. But most of us have things about ourselves that we don't like very much. And it doesn't mean that we don't love ourselves. Some of you, I can imagine, must crawl out of bed in the mornings and look at your face in the mirror and go, and I'm sure you must feel like going back to bed again. But even though you think it's ugly... You still take that face to the bathroom and scrub it, and you care for it, and you fix it up the best you can, and then you feed it and put it back to bed again. Why do you do that? Well, because it's your face, and you love it. No, to love yourself doesn't mean that you feel great about yourself all the time. It means that you care for yourself, and see to your needs, and go out of your way to make yourself happy. Well, loving your neighbour as you love yourself means that you will do the same for him or her. You'll care for him, you'll see to his needs, and you'll go out of your way to make him happy if you can. And you'll do it with as much effort and attention as you expend on yourself. That's what a real Christian would do. 
And you know who your neighbour is. You don't need me to remind you of the story of the Good Samaritan. It doesn't matter who he is or what he is. It doesn't matter how good he is or how bad he is. Whoever God brings across your path, if you're a real Christian, you will love him just as much as you love yourself. Make a list in your head of all the needs you're aware of. Not just money needs, social needs, spiritual needs, the whole range. Think about the people you see every day at work or at school, people in the houses around you, your wider family, the people in your church. You'll find it very easy to come up with a long list. Now, how much effort are you putting into meeting those needs? Is it as much effort as goes into meeting your own needs? That, says James, is the real test of your faith. Do you love your neighbour in the same way that you love yourself? Well, do you? Consistently? Once again, James has exposed our hearts. And he's not finished. He has three more points still to make. First of those three points, he reminds us that there is no such thing as a small sin. Do you ever use that excuse to yourself? It isn't such a big sin, really. Doesn't matter that much, it's only a little thing. Sure, what's the harm? God wouldn't mind. But James says, listen, whoever shall keep the whole law and yet stumble in one point, he is guilty of all. How come? Well, you have to remember that the law is not a set of rules God came up with to make life go better. The law reflects who God is. The law tells us what pleases God and what displeases him. And when you sin, it's not wrong because of the harm it does. It doesn't matter if it does no harm at all. It's wrong because it's an insult to God. That's why it doesn't matter which part of the law you break. It's just as big an insult to him whether you commit adultery, murder somebody or show preference to a rich bloke who comes into church just because he's rich. If you do not live consistently by the royal law and love your neighbour as yourself, you're guilty of breaking the whole law just as much as if you'd murdered your neighbour. But there's more. I said there were three points. That was the first one. James goes on to say, the second of his points, we should all love our neighbours like we love ourselves as if we're going to be judged on it. So speak and so do as those who will be judged by the law of liberty. That expression, the law of liberty, came up before in chapter 1. It's James' way of reminding us that God's laws aren't a bind to us. They simply enable us to be what we were always intended to be, to be what our born-again hearts long to be. Remember how we said there's nobody so free as a Christian who lives by God's law? Loving your neighbour as you love yourself isn't a bind. It's what your born-again heart wants to do. But even so, James says you should live every day in the conscious knowledge that you will be judged by whether you do or not. In other words, keep on top of this. Don't expect it to just happen. Make sure you love your neighbour as you love yourself. That's his second point. James is really driving this home, isn't he? His third point. 
For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Your sinful, selfish heart lies exposed. Your only hope when judgment comes is that God will show mercy to you. You're depending on it, absolutely, totally depending on it. If God treats you as you deserve, you don't have a hope. Well, if you don't show mercy to others, how can you expect God to show mercy to you? He won't. That's what James says. Jesus said, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. And then he told that story about the unforgiving servant. You can read it in Matthew 18. It makes you want to be sure to be merciful, doesn't it? Mercy is not treating people the way they deserve to be treated. A merciful person won't say things like, It's what you deserve. You're reaping the fruit of your own actions. You're getting your comeuppance. A merciful person won't say, I'm not going to help you because it's your own fault. You get yourself out of that hole. You got yourself into it. But this cuts even deeper than that. Mercy is about your whole attitude toward undeserving people. It's about your attitude towards sinners, vile sinners, disgusting sinners, repulsive sinners. Is your attitude towards sinners merciful? Are there some kinds of sinners you look down on? Are there some kinds of sinners you despise? Are there some kinds of sinners you would not want to see coming into your church or into your house? Are there some kinds of sinners you talk about and point out their sins to others? According to James, that's not the way a real Christian behaves. A real Christian will love his neighbour the way he loves himself, even his undeserving neighbours. For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. What merciful people we would be if we got this right. What kind, generous, big-hearted, forgiving people. Not just toward those who in our eyes are good and deserving, but toward the worst of sinners. That, I think, is what James saw in his big brother, Jesus. Imagine what it must have been like in Nazareth when Jesus went out to play football or whatever it was they played in those days. Imagine if someone tripped him up or thumped him. I wonder did they have a local bad kid. I wonder what Jesus did if he saw that bad kid in need of help. Or when he worked in the carpenter's shop, as I'm sure he must have done. If someone took advantage of his kindness and then came back another time to ask for his help, how did he treat the poor people, or the outcasts, or the grumpy old man down the road? James watched all that. Jesus, always merciful, always loving others as he loved himself. James saw it all and he learned. He learned about caring for people who are in need. He learned about not showing partiality. He learned about mercy. This section of James' letter is really bringing to light just how bad our problem with sin is, isn't it? Even those of us who are born again, we have new hearts, we have seen evidence that we are born again, we love needy people, we want to be clean and pure, but the old nature is still there, there are still selfish thoughts and there are still sins. 
If we are to be judged by the royal law, there isn't much hope for any of us, is there? We're depending on God's mercy to save us, to bring us through that judgment. I'm glad God is merciful. And I'm glad that James winds up verse 13 with a reminder that mercy triumphs over judgment. God is merciful. He won't treat you like you deserve. But don't you make that an excuse. Love your neighbour as yourself. Show mercy as God has shown and will show mercy to you.